Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1,448. Keep in mind, you can only achieve honest, good results in design if you design a product that you have a personal affinity to. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Do you know the best way to protect your vehicle, both the exterior and the interior, is with a car cover. I've been using Covercraft car covers since 1975. That's right, 1975. It's a fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. Covercraft has been manufacturing premium quality exterior and interior covers for over 50 years with a stellar reputation for durability and design. They're the world's largest manufacturer of custom-patterned vehicle covers that are crafted to fit over 80,000 patterns and growing. They are the only cover I'll put on my vehicles. You can choose from a wide variety of fabrics, styles, colors, and more. From full cover designs for factory to custom-made vehicles, plus convertible top covers, trucks, truck cab coolers, motorcycles, scooters, ATVs, trailers, campers, personal watercraft, and a wide variety of custom features. Covercraft is the right choice. Learn more today at Covercraft.com and tell them Mark sent you. That's Covercraft.com. My favorite collector car magazine is Keith Martin's Sports Car Market. I've been a subscriber for decades. Sports Car Market is the Wall Street Journal for the enthusiast and the collector. It's your monthly must-read whether you dream of owning a collector car, have two cars, or 200. Sports Car Market has been around for 31 years, and it's filled with valuable articles, intelligent write-ups, and the latest auction sales. Go to sportscarmarket.com and subscribe today. Plus, you'll get the exclusive SEM guide to restoration shops included for free. At checkout, use the code CARSYA and receive a 50% discount on your digital subscription. It's an exclusive offer from me here at Cars Yeah. I'm Mark Green, and I love Sports Car Market Magazine. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I'm revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, calling in from Los Angeles, California, Jan Matias. Jan, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Always. Always. I hope so. Jan Matias has been actively involved in the design profession for over 35 years, starting out in the position as chief designer for Porsche Design in Austria, where he worked with Bootsy Porsche among other great people, responsible for product design and project acquisition in Europe and the United States. And then in 1979, he started his own design business and worked in a wide variety of industries and countries. And in the late 90s, John worked at DesignWorks USA BMW in Los Angeles on two specific aircraft interior design projects while supporting their international marketing efforts. He also worked with the Boeing Company that's up here near where I live in Seattle. He has earned awards from Art Center College of Design, the Museum of Modern Art in New York, the City of Beverly Hills, the Florida Design Council, Stuttgart Design Center, and he is a recent recipient of the prestigious Red Dot Design Award in Germany. That is very cool. So, Jan, I have told our listeners just a little bit about you. Before I jump into the questions, though, could you take a brief moment to share a little bit more about your career, your design work, and a very obvious passion that you have for automobiles? 
Certainly. As I uh, started out, I uh, studied engineering in Germany way back when, then changed over to industrial design. I went to Art Center College in Los Angeles, and um, I graduated there in 1975, and I went right to Porsche Design in Salamsee in Austria and uh, worked for Ferdinand Alexander Porsche. We called him FAP or FAP, but his nickname was Butzi. I had some very interesting and very inspiring uh, learning curve experiences. From there, I went on my own in south of France and worked my way through the European design arena, so to speak, and then returned to the United States again in the uh, mid-80s and uh, worked uh, freelance from there on. And um, in the late 90s, I had a brief uh, several-year encounter with uh, DesignWorks, and uh, I was called in uh, by Chuck Pelly to design some aircraft interior because they hadn't done one yet, and I had done a Learjet for Clay Lacey in Van Nuys. And um, so I was assigned to a Boeing business jet interior design, and from then on, that led to several other projects with um, uh, the Swiss aircraft manufacturer Pilatus and with the um, Brazilian uh, company Embraer and uh, various other projects on uh, Singapore, Lufthansa, business class, et cetera, et cetera, for an Airbus A340. So that, in a nutshell, uh, was my activity. And uh, then uh, in 2010, I unfortunately encountered a stroke. I suffered a stroke. And as a result, I decided to retire from the active design business. And I am since emphasizing uh, anything that is car-related, and that leads us back into the passion question. Uh, I loved passion. Uh, I loved uh, cars from the beginning when I started to walk and started to drive and smell and touch cars and draw them. And today I am photographing cars. I am working on the computer to enhance the images. And then I print it and I paint over it because that's the only thing I can do with my left hand. So my car passion is now in the two-dimensional arena. And uh, I focus on vintage classic cars per se. So there is no brand that uh, occupies my brain most. They are all brands. I admit that the timeline of the 50s, 60s, mid-50s, mid-60s, is my most interesting area, and um, that is what I'm doing. Well, it sounds like fun, and you know, a lot of my guests I have here on Cars, yeah, I don't have the pleasure of talking to before, but Jan and I spoke last week uh, before we went on the show, and we started talking about his time at Porsche and the fact that he got to work at Porsche Design with Bootsy Porsche, of course, who kind of splintered off from Porsche when uh, the patriarch there came and said, you know what, all you kids can't be part of the business anymore. You need to get out of here. Go do your own things. Otherwise, you're going to bring everything down. Probably, a, well, most likely a very smart thing that he did. And we may touch on that, but I want to focus on you and your life here. And I want to start by asking you, Jan, 
for a success quote or a mantra, some kind of saying that's been important for you. It's a nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on cars. Yeah, so take the wheel. Well, there would be right off bat, there would be a more humorous mantra. And that came from my very uh, much appreciated uh, instructor slash mentor, Strada McMinn at the Art Center College, who was a very well-known, since passed away, very well-known gentleman who basically started out at Art Center as an instructor for what you call surface development. He made that remark, which never left my uh, consciousness, my uh, conscience and consciousness. And he said to me, we were always called by the last name. He said to me, Matthias, your pencil is dull. You are German. You should always keep your pencil sharp. And as a matter of fact, you can achieve that by constantly, slowly rotating the pencil itself when you follow what you call a sweep, which is a basically a template of a given t- curve. And you rotate it, and thereby you keep the pencil point sharp. And it is does, it's not uh, worn out at a certain angle, and thereby the line gets fatter. So that was one mantra. The other mantra, I think, I would call out Butzi Porsche, my then boss after Art Center, because he said, uh, Mr. Matthias, keep in mind, you can only achieve honest, good results in design if you design a product that you have a personal affinity to. That means if you design sunglasses, you definitely know what you want about sunglasses and what you dislike. And the same applies to the, um, let's say, uh, another uh, household item or another item that you uh, deal with uh, on a daily basis or once in a while, but you have experienced something, you have a learning curve with it. If you are supposedly designing a zero-gravity habitat for NASA in space, you are on uncharted territory and you don't know what to do. And that is artificial. That answer is artificial and it is not credible and not honest. So those would be two mantras or two keywords that I would mention to answer your question. Well, I love these. And your first one uh, brings up my father to my memory. My father was an architect. He was an artist, a designer. And he taught me when I was little that practice of rolling your pencil, because back in the day when he was an architect, there were not computers to work on. You worked with mechanical pencils or regular pencils. And he, when I, I, right. I remember this distinctly when I was a kid. I said, Dad, how come when you draw, you're always spinning the pencil? And he told me the same thing that your design teacher told me. So I, I started practicing that and doing that. And uh, by golly, it works. So uh, it brings back some, <laughs> sure some very warm memories. You know, and I love the metaphor here relating to that. And that is, if you're not constantly moving and changing in your life, you're not improving and staying sharp. Uh, so there's kind of a tie Good to point. that, you know? Yep. I love perfect it. Perfect point. Yeah, I love that. And the fact that perfect point, nice pun there, Jan. 
And also, yeah, I, also, I love the fact, uh, uh, and I'm a bit jealous that you got to go work with Bootsy Porsche and, and around that brand because that's my brand of, of uh, well, the one I like the most are Porsches, of course. But the fact that you got to create uh, things, you know, I've always, my whole life, probably because of my dad, I've always wanted to have things around me, no matter how simple, if it's a can opener or a toaster or something. It for me, it has to look good. It has to work well as well, but it has to look really good. The aesthetics have to be right. Uh, just something I've been plagued with, but uh, I'm thankful for people like you uh, and my father who create beautiful things for us to use every day. I want you to share a story with us that instigated your personal passion for cars. Is there a pivotal moment in your life when you knew that you were a car guy? I think it basically started probably when I was able to walk because that was the only truly honestly memorable time or rather it reaches back into my memory bank when I started to have a an affinity to cars. Going into the car and um, driving in cars with my dad way back when in the few years after the war was always an adventure. My father at the time drove, which I do remember, two BMWs. One was a 1938 327 convertible, and then that was followed by a 328 four-door. And um, those were things that I remember vividly because we were not, we, I'm saying we because my brother and myself, we were two two units or one unit, we were impossible to uncouple. And um, so we were standing side by side, literally standing, holding on to some handle by the glove box. And we were standing, we were so excited that we couldn't sit down. We, we had to stand. And we were holding on to those handles. And the BMW had a little device where you could manually um, tilt the front windscreen, which was a two-part windscreen, out to get ventilation, if so desired in the summer. And we fiddled with these things early on because anything left of that was my father's territory and anything in front of us was our territory. And then we, we slowly expanded to, uh, when he had Mercedes, we expanded to the, the uh, cigarette lighter, which sometimes burnt our hands because we pushed it in and it popped out again and then fell on the floor and we grabbed it. And then we started to explore further to the left to get to the, to the radio. And with the Becker Mexico at the time, we could push that little, uh, um, station searching uh, thing that went from left to right and right to left again. So we enjoyed this and we, we, we touched cars, we smelled cars, we experienced cars. And on top of it, my father was an engineer by profession and he drew cars uh, all day long. And so did we. And we copied the catalogs in my father's factory. He had catalogs for trucks that were used in his equipment manufacturing and we copied catalogs and it, it was cars day in day out How fun. so that is where the passion started and it never left us yeah nice memory lane there you took us down that was great i love it well let's let's talk about a challenge or or maybe even a failure you faced in your life along the way and the reason i asked this question is not so much to drum up a bad time 
But more importantly, what was the learning lesson there? Obviously, when we encounter these things, we're pushing ourselves past a comfort zone, and it teaches us valuable lessons. So walk us through one of those times in your life, if you would, and and tell us how that experience helped you gain even more momentum as you moved forward in your business and your career. Well, a failure, or let's say a situation that I regret, it is uh, two-sided. It could be read as a failure. It could be read as a development in my life that uh, finally put me on course. Mm, And that was that in 1967, my father, who owned and uh, managed a very uh, successful road-building equipment manufacturing business in Germany, decided that it was time that uh, I would go to America to get my education. And this was supposedly in engineering. And I had studied engineering already for two years in Germany. And um, I got the chance to apply to Stanford, which I did. And I was accepted, which was a uh, an honor in the first place. And... Um, I uh, was all set, and um, the day before orientation, I decided to decline and uh, fly back to Germany for a very, let's say, narrow-minded, maybe even ridiculous reason, because I had a girlfriend in Frankfurt. Oh, the love. So I packed, yes. <laughs> packed my bags again, and I returned to, to, yeah. to Germany. I, uh, in hindsight, which is very rarely 2020, I regret this because two years later, my father passed away from a heart attack at a very early age. And to a certain extent, I blame myself for having contributed to this. And in response to this, I tried to contact Stanford again. And for understandable reasons, they said, no, we have had you once before. And we do not want to try this out again, which is, uh, I take with a certain grain of salt and a piece of humor, but uh, that's how it worked. And instead, so, and here comes the positive part, I decided to apply to Art Center College. And um, I was accepted. And uh, so you can say that uh, regretfully, but as a positive uh, implication, I thereby found my way to Art Center College. Wow, what and a this story. Is something that, yeah. This is something that I never regret because Art Center College is a fantastic institution mm-hmm. and uh, every minute I loved and every minute uh, was a learning curve. And that is my life. My life is part of having gone to Art Center College. Yeah, wow. What a, so, what a story. Well, I, I'm so sorry you lost your father way, way too soon in your life. And to carry that burden that you might have had something to play with his heart attack, I I hope you've moved past that. Um, that has to have been horrible. But the story in and of itself has some wonderful golden nuggets and lessons, I believe, uh, within it. One is that story of chasing a love, uh, chasing a young girl. Um, you know, everyone's done these things to alter their lives, good, bad, or indifferent. We do them, and uh, as long as we learn from them. By the way, that didn't last long. That's no, they never, they, they never but, do. They never do. Yeah. 
but it brought me back. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, it, it played a part in the role. And, and I love the, the yeah. positive outlook of how you ended up and where you ended up that you did, because that would have never happened. And who knows? We wouldn't have been talking right. today. So it makes for an incredible Probably story not, yeah. for sure. Fantastic. Well, let's have a little bit of fun and talk about your first really special vehicle, the first car in your life that had great meaning for you, and maybe share a memory you have about that ride. Okay, so uh, my first car was a mid-60s Volkswagen Beetle, first of all, uh, just historically speaking. My first car that was really exciting in my memory was my 1969 BMW 2002 TII. That was an incredible car. It was a fantastic car. It handled well. It was compact. It was powerful. The road uh, control was fantastic. It had two doors. We got everything in it. My brother had the same car, and uh, my brother chose to have it tuned by um, Burkhard Bovensieben at Alpina. That left me with the choice of going to either Schnitzer, which was another house, well-known tuning house for BMWs, but I chose to go to a place, I think it was somewhere around Düsseldorf, which was called Köpchen. Köpchen uh, put in two Weber, I think it was a 40 DCOE um, Weber carburetor, and with open air filters, and over the air filter, we had to put um, ladies' nylon stockings which were soaked in oil in order to keep the filters clean (laughs) so that was another story (laughs) and i took that took that car on a virgin summer holiday trip from germany to switzerland and at each hairpin and mountain pass i just enjoyed the in the front the um guttural intake uh vibration from the copywriters and the air filters and in the back, I had an Abarth twin pipe exhaust that gave me the noise in the tunnel. So this was a very exciting trip. And the car was na- car was navy blue with a silver top. Ah, oh, so nice. Nice. Well, it was a beautiful car. Uh, yeah, those are awesome. And uh, you took us on a nice little journey there. Is there a car you've you've owned and let go that you wish you had back? Is it that car, your seller's remorse story? No, no, that that car I had to leave behind when I went to uh, to go to Art Center College. Mm. There was remorse, but the remorse was over, overshadowed by the excitement to go to Art Center. Yes. Um, the, re- the real remorse came when I was at Art Center and I decided to buy a, a 300 SL Gullwing. Oh, my. And that oh. was a 1955 uh, silver over blue. And um, I bought that from my dealer friend in uh, Hollywood, a Porsche dealer, mm-hmm. Bob Smith, Porsche Audi. Pete Smith is still a very close personal friend of mine. And um, I bought the 300 SL out of his uh, back garage. And uh, I think I paid $12,500 for it, which was a lot of money. Yeah. However. Yeah. However. Yeah. <laughs> however. The big however. Now comes the hindsight of 2020 again. Yes. Whoever knew? Who would have known? Nobody. So, yeah. <laughs> and now you probably uh, uh, mull in your mind whether you should ask me why I sold it 
Okay, I got I now. Yeah, I got to ask you why. <laughs> yeah, there are a couple of aspects. First of all, I then graduated from Art Center in nineteen seventy. I bought this car in seventy three. I graduated in seventy five, and I tried to sell the Galwing, and I couldn't sell it. I offered it for fifteen thousand, and I couldn't sell it. So I went back to my purchase price, twelve and a half, and I still couldn't sell it. And so I shipped it back to Germany. And then came the most ridiculous description slash excuse why I sold it. I didn't have an appropriate garage. I worked for Putzi Porsche in ski country in Zellamsee in Austria. And I did not want to expose the car to uh, corrosion and rain and sleet and snow. And uh, so with a heavy heart, I sold the car. Wow. Oh, yeah. goodness. Well. I've heard a lot of these stories on the show, Jan, so you're not alone. Uh, many of us have gone through these things, but who would have thought that uh, these things would be worth so much money now? But uh, I can't imagine being a college student driving a car like that. That's pretty incredible. So you had that experience that very few people get. I think that's brilliant and fantastic. Let's talk about what has you excited and fired up these days. You mentioned at the beginning what you're doing these days in your somewhat semi-retirement. Uh, but the fact that you're staying active and doing things despite the stroke that you have and, and the limitations that leaves you with this photography and then painting. Uh, tell us more about this. And, and can people go and find these pieces of art and buy them from you? Yes. Um, I post. I ha don't have a website yet. I have been under construction, as they say, for many, many years because I'm constantly <laughs> distracted by new uh, photos that I took of cars that I hadn't seen before, blah, blah, blah. Yep. And um, so, but on Instagram, everybody can find me under Jan Matthias. Okay. And I'm the, I'm the guy with that little wheel icon. When you go to hashtag Jan Matthias, you will find my posts. And I post my artwork there and I post my daily pictures. And um, as you know, as you can imagine, Southern California has a an unlimited uh, fund of cars on the street. And so I um, am blessed with being able to photograph cars that people in other parts of the country only see once in a while or once in, a, in their lifetime. And um, uh, we have uh, cars literally coming out of our ears. And uh, I have a couple of hotspots where I um, uh, take pictures. There are certain upscale restaurants along Melrose and uh, in Beverly Hills, and uh, the cars are parked there and accessible, and uh, so I take car, uh, car pictures around, nice. around the clock. Nice. Well, and, this uh, is, uh, is, yeah, this is a great thing, and it's, it's a, a key part, I think, of success in later life when you're so-called retired, is you must stay busy. You have to have a reason to wake up in the morning and do things. And the fact that you've continued to share your passions uh, on your Instagram account, I'd encourage you listeners to go find that. I'll put a link on Jan's show notes page here on the Cars yeah! website, or you can just go to Instagram and type in Jan, J-A-N, Matthias, M-A-T-T-H-I-A-S, and that'll pop right up and you can see what he's creating. Fantastic! Yawn up next is the last lap. Before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars yeah sponsors. 
When you want proven performance, there's one brand that's been around since 1938. That's Edelbrock, building the finest American-made performance products for the street and track. Edelbrock's products are designed and dyno-proven to deliver maximum results. Edelbrock has thousands of made-in-the-USA performance products for all makes and models. From their new AVS2 carburetor and innovative ProFlow 4 EFI for your muscle car or truck. To superchargers for your daily driver and more, visit edelbrock.com to check out the latest products for your ride and when you're ready to check out enter cars yeah in the coupon code and get 10 percent off your order that's edelbrock automotive performance since 1938 you take care of your cars but who takes care of your investments tune-ups aren't just for engines updating your financial plan is important too your gps may take you from a to b but it won't help you on the road to financial freedom. For that, you need a good co-pilot and a very trusted advisor. Chris Kimball, CFP, is just the man for the job. He'll guide you down that road without driving you crazy. For over 25 years, Chris has helped people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. With a master's degree in financial services, he is eminently qualified, and he's a car guy too. Learn more at chrisvkimball.com or call 866-ON-A-PLAN. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member FINRA SIPC. CK Financial Services is not affiliated with Money Concepts Capital Corp. Are you looking for a way to get your products or services into the ears of thousands of automotive enthusiasts around the globe? I can help. This is Mark Green here at Cars Yeah, and I'd be honored to be an influencer and ambassador for your brand in a unique and personal way. Five days a week, thousands of subscribers and listeners enjoy the Cars Yeah! podcast and website. Contact me today and I'll show you how at mark at carsyeah.com or connect with me through the Cars Yeah! website at carsyeah.com. All right, Jan, we are back and I have a bit of an introspective question for you. I'm going to kind of get in your head a little bit here. If you woke up tomorrow and you were a car, manifested as a vehicle, what would you be and why? Tough question. <laughs> I I would not be a Lamborghini. I would not be a Rolls Royce or a Bentley. And instead, I would go way back and way down, so to speak. And I would uh, revisit something that is closer to the brand that I worked for, Porsche. Mm. I think I would choose a Volkswagen Beetle. Ah. And that's okay. for for several for several reasons. First of all, it is a very minimal car. It is a very honest car and it is super reliable and you can still fix things with a screwdriver and you don't need to plug in a computer someplace or whatever. <laughs> the car is frugal. The car has a definite cool factor, which is very important to me. That would Just be a it. joke on the side. My grandkids think I'm the cool grandfather. <laughs> well, so you cool are, factor, Jan. That's why. <laughs> cool, cool, the cool factor applies to the car and to the grandfather. I love it. And also the, the car brings back memory. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because uh, I did my first uh, 360 degree spin in the snow. And um, uh, all those things. I mean, this this car has personality, and yeah. it is very Teutonic. Yep. It is 
iconic, Teutonic, reliable, minimal. That's why I would choose to be a Volkswagen. Nice. It's perfect. (laughs) It's you. Absolutely. Yeah. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Do you want to talk to all these salespeople who wanted to talk me into buying <laughs> no, cars? No, no, I don't want to hear from <laughs> so, any of them. <laughs> no, I think uh, I think that would uh, relate directly to the product. I learned that you should never, which many people do, you should never show off and rev your engines and then shut it off and walk away from the car and close the door. Um, because when you do that, you pump the cylinder heads full of gas, and then since you don't burn all the gas off while you're gone and you chat with your friends at the barbecue, the gas runs down the inner side of your cylinder and your pistons and dissolves the lubrication, and by the time you go back to the car to drive home, you have no lubricant. That was one, one, uh, and I think I got that from my brother, who always was the car nut and who was a little bit ahead of me, of my curve. Mr. Porsche told me to use, um, when you have a oily film on the windscreen and it's the first rainy day out, you you don't get this clean window, you, the windscreen, right? So he said, why don't you take a cigarette, break the paper, unroll the tobacco, and uh, distribute the tobacco over the windshield and rub it in with your hands. And oh. that cuts the film. Really? It cuts <laughs> the oily film on the windscreen. And I've never heard yeah. that. And he also told me when you go to the gas station and you clean your windows, which in Germany we do by ourselves, and sometimes here the uh, attendant does it or used to do it at the gas station, you should always wipe the uh, rubber blade of the wiper because that's where the dust and the sand collects. And when you turn it on the first time, it scratches your windscreen. There you go. Good advice. How about a personal habit of yours that you believe has contributed to your successes over the years? Uh, My habits are to always be on time slash to be early, which is sometimes annoying to the client secretary because they don't have the coffee ready. But on the end of the meeting, I would probably jot down my thoughts immediately. I don't drive home or fly home and then start memorizing things. I write them down when they are still hot, hot out of the oven. And also, um, I never was inhibited by any um, chairman of the board or uh, head engineer um, uh, when it came to uh, discussing the product. I had a talent to comprehend and to understand the product very quickly. So I really didn't have a problem dissecting and um, analyzing, not synthesizing, analyzing the product in itself, the functions and how it would be manufactured. I would come uh, around with a certain base understanding in a very short time frame. And so the the sometimes questionable relationship between the designer and the engineers who feel that the designer thinks he knows everything and they worked on this product for 30 years and the designer is supposed to walk in, make a lot of money and come up with an idea in uh, four weeks. You break the ice with the engineers because you 
you you understand their products, you understand their their problems much better, and you can relate to the pluses and minuses. So based on that, I also had a key ingredient that I brought to the table. I always had an improvement of some sort that came out of my design. Most of the times the designs and the products were patentable, which uh, was a definite uh, advantage of the client, for the client, and for me too, because it put me on the map and it also gave me something uh, that I I left behind and I could always uh, uh, refer to. So I have quite a few uh, patents to my name and um, uh, that also translated obviously into uh, better fees. Absolutely. Wonderful. How about a resource? Is there one that is a go-to for you that you'd like to share? That's a difficult question. Um, Resources these days are basically internet-related because you have immediate and constant access day and night to anything you want to know. So um, uh, resources would be um, things like, um, what should I say? Um, there is a um, website called, I don't even know whether I pronounce this correctly, Behance. By oh, Behance, Adobe. yes. Uh-huh, yeah. Yes. That is a, a source of inspiration. Then in the fashion, which I also relate to very much, fashion and sneaker world, there is a German-based website called High Snobiety, as in high snow, high society, mm-hmm. but it's the snob, so it's the <laughs> high snobiety, <laughs> and that is to me aside from another one that's called Hype Beast. Those are two social media platforms that deal with anything fashion, streetwear, sneaker world. Yeah. And that is very inspiring because you feel like you feel the trends and you feel the latest in, in footwear and Adidas and Yeezy and Kanye West and you have it and you name it and, uh, and Nike and all these people and Bathing Ape, which are all these out, outlandish names, but they seem to be commonplace these days. And that is uh, what I call inspiration accelerators because once you look at these things and you absorb a little bit then it flows back into your day-to-day inspirational environment and it gives you creative juices so to speak absolutely very cool how about if i could arrange for you to have a drink or a meal with anyone in the automotive industry living or deceased who would it be difficult I have met a few people in this arena. I think if I had to to pull out a name, it would be somebody to relate back to the 300 SL, the Gullwing. And there is a gentleman called uh, Rudolf Uhlenhaut, who used to be head engineer and head of R&D at Mercedes in the 50s and 60s. And basically, also, I think in this into the seventies, he's uh, passed now. And um, he created the Galwing. First of all, he created uh, the very famous 
300 SLR, which is called the Uhlenhaut Coupe. That was a that was a car that was meant to uh, be entered into the Millamilia um, and those races, and uh, the coupe was never entered. However, and um, the uh, uh, the car itself, uh, the reason why the Gullwing was created in the first place was that the um, car was basically a welded space frame out of many, many small diameter steel tubes, which was the main material left over after the war that the Mercedes racing department could work with. So they had no uh, no carbon fiber. I mean, leave that alone. That's, that's decades later. But they didn't have any other um, pressed stamped piece or whatever. So they literally welded hundreds of very small diameter, let's say half an inch maximum thin-walled steel tubes, and they created this space frame. And then over the space frame, they built the uh, aluminum uh, body. And in the area where you would normally have the cutout for the doors, they couldn't cut that out because the space frame would have lost its uh, rigidity and its performance. And that part forced the door to be cut short. The lower third of the door, so to speak, is part of the body, and the door thereby was shortened, and thereby it created the opening to the top, which hadn't been done before. And also uh, it created this hump that you had to go over and basically fall into the seat of the car, right? which yeah. was fun. Because when the girls had to jump into the car, it was a visual orchestration <laughs> because the driver was very happy to stand on the girl's side and wait until she had to go over that thing. And the same thing on the way out. It oh, was that's cumbersome. funny. It was cumbersome. And it, it also, I think it, uh, it contributed largely to the heat in the car. And um, so that car was never a comfortable car. It was a fantastic car, but never comfortable. It was a, uh, a rough riding uh, car with the live rear axle at every step where the concrete plates on the freeways, uh, where there, there was a little line offset. The car would offset to the left or the right, and you had to aim again where you wanted to go. So it was really a pain in the neck to drive it, but it was uh, was very uh, it was a fun car. Yeah, no doubt. How about a book? Is there a book you'd like to share with us today that you've enjoyed reading? Reading right now, Leonardo da Vinci. Yeah, um, I there is Walter Isaacson uh, with a I think five hundred uh, page book, which is a a hefty book to place on your on your lap but it it is very enjoyable and i was always drawn to biographies and uh, it is a very detailed minutely detailed uh, biography of um, leonardo working in milan and uh, coming from the province of italy and doing his work and uh, i'm only in the beginning i think i've covered now 200 pages or whatever it basically tells us that he never really finished any big work, whereas the others, uh, his uh, contemporaries, they finished one big 
work after the other and he never finished. He got sidetracked and he got discouraged and he did too much research. And so it is almost a negative description of what he did mm. on the other hand. Interesting. I mean, it's fantastic what he left behind. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and and a, a car book would be Mulholland Experience. Nice. Mulholland Experience is uh, describing not only Mulholland as the the road that leads uh, leads leads along the ridge in the in Los Angeles, the mountains that separate uh, uh, the west side from the valley, but it also describes the the personalities who raced there and crashed there and some of them killed themselves and the nighttime and the the cops trying to find out who was it and uh, so it's a very interesting very entertaining book very cool well, we're up to the checkered flag here jan and i'm going to ask you a question here that may be a challenge we'll see i'm going to buy you any cool collector car you would like to have today and park in your garage but it's the only one you can have in your garage and i want you to drive it and enjoy it and you can't sell it to buy a bunch of other toys with so what can I buy you today? <laughs> Jesus. I know. I have some rules to my game because I'm writing the check. <laughs> you you don't have any easier questions? Nope. There's no nothing easy well, here. We, That's too boring. <laughs> we, we've, we've, ex, we've excluded the Lamborghini and the Bentley and the Rolls. Okay. So that leaves a couple of other cars. Yeah. It has to be a beautiful car, number one. That is a number one thing. It has to be a... Uh, a uh, car with a certain uh, uh history to it uh with a um, a uh, a weight and um i think it should relate back to my upbringing and whatever so first glance everybody would probably expect me since i touched on the volkswagen already and the bmw would expect me to say oh why don't i get a gullwing again but to everybody's surprise, I think I would choose the Roadster. The Roadster has even more beautiful lines from my point of view. It is technically basically the same, but it is more drivable. It is a more comfortable driver, daily driver. And at my age of 73, I think those are the things that count. Mm. And, um, the ladies don't have to jump over the hump anymore, so that is more more comfortable for uh, weekend trips. And yeah. um, the car has beautiful lines, beautiful yeah. lines. And a few of my friends own this, so it's fantastic. Yeah, I think it's a great choice. I much prefer the Roaster to the Gullwing. A lot of people shake their head at that, but I think you're right. Uh, I've had the pleasure of driving one. They're absolutely brilliant cars to drive and fun. Uh, so I'd be happy to deliver a 300SL Roadster to your garage. Jan, you have taken us on a great ride today. I want to thank you for sharing your life stories with us and, and appreciate your time today. Would you give us a little parting piece of wisdom or guidance before you drive off into this Mulholland Drive in that 300SL Roadster? I think it would be design-related, and um, I think... Uh it would be a professional uh, remark, and that is that honesty always pays off in life per se anyway, but also specifically in design, because uh, if you create things that are not honestly uh, uh, 
formulated, form-shaped, articulated, they don't live long. And I think the responsibility that the designer has should be more coming to the forefront. We have a responsibility to create something meaningful, to create something sustainable, and uh, nowadays to create something that is less impactful on the environment. And uh, in contrast to that, or as an enhancement of that, to that uh, leaves less of a devastating footprint on our planet. So that would be my concluding statement. Nicely said. Well, listeners, you can find all these great things about Jan on the Karjau website. I'll make sure I put links to his Instagram page. And uh, once he gets his website up, uh, I'm going to have Jan let me know, and I'll put a blast out there on social media so that you can find that as well. Jan, thank you for being so generous today with your time and expertise and for sharing your worldly experiences with me and the listeners. This has been delightful. Until you and I talk again, my friend, I'll see you down the road. Mark, thank you. It was a pleasure. And thank you for inviting me and giving me a chance to leave all my nonsense here on the record. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Auf Wiedersehen. Hey, Mark Green here from Cars Yeah. Did you know you can now see me on the Cars Yeah TV show? It's a weekly visit to some of my past Cars Yeah podcast guests, and I take you along for the ride. You go behind the garage door and into their lives, their businesses, and you get to see what makes them successful. With tens of millions of viewers, Cars Yeah TV is making its mark. Cars Yeah TV is available on Mav TV and Lucas Oil Racing TV. You'll find Mav TV on Direct TV. Fubo TV, Fios by Verizon, or you can stream it through Lucas Oil Racing Television online. And they said I only had a face for podcasting. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!